This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Check out and support us on Patreon for tons of content, including a bonus episode for each episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share all sorts of nerdy stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, at Nerd Podcast Radio, and on Twitter, at Nerdcast Radio. Don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Reviews are important as they help our podcast grow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Super Big and Brian, and I am joined by David Theobald III. Hey, everybody. And we have two very special guests this morning. We're, um, we um, did a search of the internet for the expert community of tabletop role-playing game experts, and we ended up finding these guys. So um, we have, um, from the How It's Played YouTube channel, Dave is here with us this morning. Yeah, hi, everybody. I'm Dave Barnhart with uh, the How It's Played YouTube channel, and looking forward to a channel with you all today. And from the Collective Arcana YouTube channel, we are joined by Wyatt. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Um, so, Dave, why don't you tell us a tiny bit about what you do, who you are, and why you're here today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I am. Uh, I've worked in the field of um, of adult education for pretty much my my whole life, about the last twenty years. And a few years ago, I decided to combine my two passions, which were teaching and tabletop role playing games, and merge them together into one little hobby. And that hobby is the How It's Played YouTube channel, where uh, people can go and check out uh, educational videos that explain some of the more complex and convoluted rules of different role-playing games in ways that hopefully are easy for people to understand. I uh, started with 5th Ed D&D and then moved into Starfinder. And for the last year or so, I've mostly been focused on Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And Wyatt, what about you? Uh, well, uh, you know, the Collective Arcana, we're a YouTube channel all about uh, tabletop gaming with uh, the last couple of years being very focused on Pathfinder 2nd Edition as with Dave. Uh, I've been playing tabletop RPGs for about 15-ish years now, and uh, it's just it's my favorite hobby, and I uh, got my, my wife into it and uh, a bunch of our friends, and so we decided to start a channel about it. I was about to say, you're not alone on your YouTube channel. That is correct. Yeah, my wife joins me uh, whenever she has has time. Uh, you know, she her job keeps her pretty pretty busy, but uh, whenever we can, we try to squeeze her in. She, uh, As a newer player, she brings a lot. Uh, to the table, you know, from that perspective. So I really like having her there when we get uh, new books or anything like that, or if I'm just weighing in on classic topics that to me might seem really rote, but to a new player like her is she's going to have, you know, just, just views on it that I, I wouldn't. So I like having her there. So to give you a little background on us, I am a prolific jamming player and um, I absolutely love Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And uh, David is a prolific jamming player and... Uh, yeah, I started with uh, AD&D back like 20 years ago. 
I actually know what Thacko means. <laughs> I was going to say, he doesn't like Pathfinder 2nd Edition. No, I don't. I'm not a fan of, <laughs> not a fan of Pathfinder 2nd Ed, as I have done on record saying. That's okay. No edition wars today. That's fine. Yeah, so we're, we're, our topic today is going to be set like system neutral. How do you be a good player? How do you be a good GM? What's playing the game? But first... But first, we're going to play everybody's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You, where we talk about the nerdy things we've done the past couple of weeks, and then we vote using Mike Myler's patented widget system to find out who was the nerdiest. And Mike Myler a... is a game designer who decided our, our game didn't take long enough, so <laughs> he created a point system that yeah. is we we affectionately call the time suck. Yes. So um, we, we will get widgets that we give to each other, and it's fun. So yeah. um, we will get to that. But we have a tradition on this show that the guest always goes first. And uh, Wyatt, as you were the last guest to join. And oh, you're making me change the order. No. Yes, I Dave. am. No, it's Dave. It's, no, it's Dave. I am. Fine. I am, I am Whatever. overruling it. <laughs> fine. Jackass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Dave, what's nerdy with you? I guess what's nerdy with me? Well, first of all, I guess I should say that I, I've never thought of myself as competitively nerdy. Um, um, more amateur nerdy, I guess. I, I've never won any awards for my excessive nerdyisms. Um, but I guess the, 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 the nerdiest activities recently is, uh, despite being a, um, tabletop gamer for, uh, 35 years now, I started when I was, I started in 1983 when I was nine years old. So I'm basically a real life stranger things kid. <laughs> I, uh. I've never actually painted a miniature. And then uh, last week, I decided to start painting miniatures. And I have spent probably way too much on paint and brushes. Uh, uh, Game Dave. Workshop is probably appreciating my my business recently. Uh, and Dave, I've started you, painting. I'm sorry, you've, ta you, you've taken your first steps into a larger world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this is not good. This is not good. Well, uh, welcome, I, welcome, brother. <laughs> uh, I successfully painted all of the miniatures in my Aliens uh, board game. Awesome. Uh, Aliens Colonial Marines, uh, another glorious day in the core. Now moving on to Ultra. That's that's a good one. I've actually seen that board game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing it someday. <laughs> but uh, so far, I got the minis painted. So I guess that's that's my big nerdy uh, topic for the last. That's awesome. All right, what? How about you? What's been nerdy with you? Uh, I would say the nerdiest thing that I'm doing right now is I'm currently in the midst of a Pokemon Platinum Nuzlocke uh, <laughs> that I'm just doing for fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're not familiar, it's uh, with a Nuzlocke, it's where you play a game and there's a lot of extra special rules about when you can catch a Pokemon. And if a Pokemon ever faints in battle, you have to put that Pokemon away. Uh, and you just, it breeds a lot of extra stress into what is normally a pretty relaxed sort of game. So, so you give yourself tighter, tighter rules that you yourself are following on an honor system. It's not the game itself. It's what right. you're imposing on yourself while playing. That's, it's that's like awesome. hardcore Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah, it, I would just like to say that I concede. <laughs> I, oh, I, I the don't game's think I'm going to over that. No, you, you have no idea how actually dirty that is. So. <laughs> uh, what about you, David? Well, um, what's been nerdy with me? Um, I recently started playing D&D &D in person again. So finally getting to use all that 3D terrain I got from those Kickstarters oh, I backed I'm during jealous. the pandemic. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we have an awful lot of uh, painted and unpainted box of shame plastic mm. <laughs> in the house right now. And, and you know, every time over the pandemic, when I would order more, the wife would be like, we don't know when we're going to get to play in person again. Do we need that? And I was like, yeah, we definitely need it. You don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a, I've got like three fourths of a forty k army that I need to paint that I haven't yet. So, <laughs> uh, Brian, how about you? What's been nerdy with you, my friend? Oh, um, so um, the last last episode, my nerdy thing was I, I had been watching the Dimension Twenty stream, and I started watching um, the the game the interview show that they do, and they interviewed this one guest. I can't remember her name. I'll try to include it in the show notes, but she has a live stream of a game called sirens where it's a party of bards um they're a band that travels around the forgotten realms nice and i thought that was so cool so i opened up hero lab online and i made a party of every class and they're not just mechanics i created backstories for each one because i had to um i made a um I made a party of bards where the warrior bard is lizard folk. Um, I um, came up with the the whole, I, I mechanically came up with the role for every character. So it would be a balanced group. I used Pathfinder second edition rules. Um, I made a party of wizards. That was a um, barbershop quartet from a collegiate college. Because I figured if, if wizards had a hobby, it would be that. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I created a, I didn't create a party of each martial class. I created a party that was all the martial classes. So I did a fighter, ranger, champion, and a barbarian. Um, every party I made was four characters. And I, I, I mean, I could, I'll probably end up doing all fighters, all barbarians and stuff like that. I just thought it was more interesting to do the split between the different marshals, um, and I used the free archetype rule from the Game Mastery Guide, and I used the Paragon Ancestry rules because I, I prefer running with both of those. I think those are I, I, I think it's fun to give more candy to the players. And um, yeah, it looked like a lot of fun. I hope to convince a GM to run this game but i mean it's it'll just exist in my head um, wow but i i um i had a con experience i ran games at gen con once and i was running the same um scenario over and over again and i had a party of paladins show up and played my game and then i had a party of ninjas show up and play the same game and a completely different experience they were completely different experiences <laughs> the paladins did everything bureaucratically and legally it was amazing and it was a pirate adventure that's awesome and the ninjas <laughs> did everything on the rooftops and skipped encounters it was it was absolutely wonderful um so yeah i i've been uh, yeah that's what i've been doing um so that's it is incredible. time it is time for voting um the way this works is we take the number of guests and add one so everyone gets um five widgets to hand out um we will start with dave who do you want to give your widgets to and why uh yeah i want to give all five of them to wyatt because i still don't know what a nuzzle lock is <laughs> you're muted wyatt yeah, that's, a, that's i mean that's close enough uh yeah it's just uh, as he said it's just a bunch of extra rules and uh that you don't have to obey and <laughs> yeah it's like playing with the chaos rules for magic the gathering Okay, so, yeah. so I'm 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 all in pushing or it's, my, or it's my like doing, over there. Or it's like doing the Iron Man challenge in Warcraft in yeah. World of Warcraft, which is insane. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's 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 really cool. I I I I like that. Uh, Wyatt, who do you give your widgets to? Oh, you can uh, give them to yourself too. Yeah, you can give them to anyone and everyone. Um, I am going to uh, do a full reverse, and I'm going to give mine to Dave uh, for uh, mostly to encourage him diving into this hobby. Because as anybody who does miniatures know. Uh, you have to get other people to make the same mistakes as you. So, Dave, keep buying and painting <laughs> miniatures, please. Yeah, th- thank you for being my enabler. <laughs> oh, David, you got a tie to break. Oh, just wait. I'm also going to give all five of mine to Dave because uh, welcome. Welcome, my friend. Um, it is a deep pit from which there is no escape. Oh, my my, my, my wallet appreciates that news. <laughs> well, I'm going to stick with my commitment, even though Dave wins. Um, I am going to give all my five to David because I just Yay. am so jealous of getting to play in person. Um, it, my, my in-person game was going so well, and then it died mm. because... Running virtually is a lot of time work that I did not want to do. Yeah. Well, um, I lost two players when we switched back from virtual to live. So it's uh, trying to trying to keep it going. <laughs> so, Dave, you have one what's nerdy with you. What this means is all the widgets will be sent to your place. Um, they are... They are um, they are sentient beings. You will have to feed and care for them from now on. It is quite an obligation. Um, in enjoy, they are only mildly radioactive. Oh, don't let them near tungsten. <laughs> Whatever you do. <laughs> Who has tungsten laying around? Is that you would be surpri- <laughs> you would be surprised. <laughs> Okay. Well, well, as long as they react well with, with plastic miniatures, and they actually they they actually learn how they uh the ones I've got learned how to play forty k, so <laughs> do they pilot mechs? Uh, no, they're not that good, but uh, they do like to roll dice. Um, so we we are here to talk about that went surprisingly smooth for <laughs> I two know, guests. Right? I am I'm very. It's almost like these guys are organized YouTube hosts. Yeah. Um, so we we are talking about tabletop RPGs. Tabletop RPGs require people to play them. Um, they require a game master, often called a dungeon master or storyteller, and um, they require players. But what does it take to play a game good? Um, that's the question we're asking today. And I'm just going to look at my outline and grab one of my sample questions. I was say, it's almost like you it's almost like you read that off of outline or something, man. That was well done. And so for listeners, the way this works is we're gonna go around the table. People are gonna ask each other any questions. We have some sample questions put together. As you know, tangents are absolutely encouraged. We go all over the place in the show. Um, so I'm gonna ask Dave, um, in order for everyone to have fun at the table, what has to happen? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to tabletop RPGs, it's it's a social game. And so you want to make sure that you're setting an environment where everybody is feeling open and free to contribute. So I would say like the key thing to, to, to have a successful game is everybody needs to be supportive of each other. You, you don't shut down other people's ideas. It's very much the, the improv comedy philosophy of yes and. If someone brings an idea, you don't say that's stupid or, you know, I, I've had a, a player in the past who would be who would criticize other people's character backstories as being, you know, lame, boring. We've heard that all before. Um, rather than shutting down a person at the table, be encouraging. If you if you do think that their idea is lame or rude or has been done a million times before, instead of shutting them down, you know, see if you can encourage them to put a new spin on it. Um 
So yeah, I, in order for everybody to have fun around the table, you got to recognize that this is a social game. You want to be supportive of each other, and uh, you you just got to be open and encouraging. Is is I, the big I thing? I agree with you completely. I've been at, I've been at so many tables since I've done organized play. You end up with yeah. people who do ten pages of backstory next to people who are like, "My name is Fighter." Yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah, I've. Oof. Uh, it's it, it's unfortunate it doesn't matter what form you're in there were always assholes <laughs> uh, why don't we stay on this topic and just discuss for a bit Wyatt what do you think about what does it take to have fun at the table I, I think Dave hit it on the head there really the key thing the key ingredient in this is like trust and teamwork and collaboration so if you don't have that it doesn't matter how good of a story or world you've built as a GM it doesn't matter how cool all the players are how good the players are at you know, at playing the game, how cool their characters are, how much everybody wants to get to know them. If nobody trusts each other, if, you know, people feel like there is, uh, you know, judgment and things like that, you're going to have tension at the table. And the number one killer of a game is got nothing to do with the story or the players or the characters. It's, you know, what happens with the outside of the table kind of stuff of, you know, just people not being able to, to interact and and get cohesive. I say on the channel sometimes, like, this is a game, you know, tabletop RPGs, it's for everybody, but not every table is going to be for everybody. So, you know, I just want to encourage anybody out there, if you're playing in a game, if you're at a table and you feel like, you know, your characters being mocked or anything, you just don't feel like you are welcome to that table, you can find another table, especially as the world is opening back up. People are going to be going out in droves looking to start games. People who, you know, like you, Brian, haven't really been fond of the online, I, I personally hate it as well. I, I kept it going because I kind of you know yeah. needed to. I would die without it, I think. But, um, but you know, it's definitely not my preferred way to play. And as we're going out and back into the world, but even online with World 20 and things like that, you know, Warhorn, you can find a game. You don't have to stick with one that, that's a bummer. So uh, I just, I think that's so important is, you know, that table unity, that that cooperation. Yeah. And if I can just build on something that you, you said there, why, which was about trust, it's important to have trust at the table. Uh, and I think one way that you can see that trust happen at the table is when everybody, the player and the GM, all acknowledge you're on the same team. Even though one person's controlling the adversaries to be and the obstacles to be overcome by the rest of the table, at the end of the day, you are on the same team and you all have the same goal of having a fun afternoon. Yeah. And I, you still want them to win, even though you're against them. <laughs> well, but but right. see, the question is, what does what does win mean? When when in in my opinion, doesn't necessarily mean slaying the dragon. Win means having a fun, exciting, adventurous time. Um, I agree. Um, unfortunately, in my experience, depending on the players, sometimes that's not what the table wants. And part of being a GM is reading your table and knowing what direction to take things. Because some people like more roleplay intensive games. Some people like more crunchy, I'm going to roll dice and kill things games. And yeah, finding it, that balance is, is I, I, I agree totally. <laughs> and I think this might be something that comes up in another one of the proposed questions. Oh, I'm sure. The outline. Um, but I, I, I think my key point about the about trust and being on the same team is back when like fourth edition D and D came out, uh, and and there had been a lull between the end of third and coming into fourth. The hobby had been in a bit of a lull. 
And a lot of the players who came to my table at that time were not people with a background in, in tabletop RPGs. They were people who had a background in tabletop wargaming. And they came into it with the mentality of... We're going to roll dice and kill stuff. Yeah, well, we're gonna, mm. beyond that, it's I have to beat the GM. Mm. And, and if the GM was to do something that wasn't strictly in the rules as written mm-hmm. or anything else... They'd say you're you're cheating, you're breaking the rules, and they would get furious. Yeah, the tactical mind. Yeah, but when you when you have this level of trust at the table, and you understand, yeah, that the GM is going to manage the rules, and that doesn't mean following the strict letter of the rules, but is managing the rules in such of a way to provide a fun uh, gaming experience for the rest of the table. If you have that trust that yeah, the GM is is you know doing something on the fly or bending a rule here or there, but they're doing it because that's going to have a fun outcome for the table. Mm -hmm. Then you have that trust. I had a similar Uh, experience in the reverse way where I played at a table where the GM was a very tabletop war game type GM and he was trying to kill the players. That was mm. his goal. He he wanted to make a challenging combat yeah, been, situation. Been there. <laughs> and it was like and it wasn't what anyone had signed up for and he couldn't understand why no one was happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, there has to be some communication and so um Dave, it is your turn to ask a question. Why don't you ask Wyatt a question? Sure. Um, so Wyatt, if you have your one GMing secret, what's that what's that one secret that makes you an outstanding GM that you could share with a new GM? What would be that one secret that you would give these new GMs? I think a big part of what, you know, I hope I'm a good GM. I think I'm a good GM. Uh, you know, so I think that one of the things that sort of sets, you know, me apart is that my primary focus, and you sort of said it earlier, is, you know, what is winning the game, right? And for me, winning the game is everybody having a good time. I GM because I want my friends to laugh and, you know, gasp and get excited about, you know, what's going on. I want them to be talking about my game days after the game has ended. That's where my joy of being a GM comes from. And there are definitely some GMs that get their joy from killing players. Uh, you know, but but for me personally, I want my players to be engaged and having fun. And if my players, if I get a text three days later about something that happened in game or, you know, something that that tells me my players are thinking about my game after, and that makes me really excited. So, so for me, it's all about finding ways to make sure that my players are engaged. And that is where I derive fun. So as a GM, a lot of GMs will get burnout and things like that because they aren't necessarily doing it for fun. You know, sometimes they're doing it because it was hoisted on them. Nobody else wanted to do it. Somebody volunteered, uh, you know, and you'll have that, but you've got to, if you're going to be your group's GM, you've got to find where your joy is in it. I, you know, and that's, that's where mine is. I like to give my players, put them in situations, see how they're going to react and, and see how, how much they enjoy it. So it's just about finding your joy to be a good GM. I think my big focus right now, since the world of tabletop gaming has changed with so many amazingly produced live streams is watching those and learning tips. It, it We live in this fantastic world now where there's so much information available and you can see so many different styles. You know, it's like now it's like you can see other ways to play the game. You can see that you can reskin things. You can 
Unfortunately, can, though, that yeah. also breeds the downside of what's been dubbed the Matt Mercer effect. Yeah, yeah, that uh, you're not you're not good at this because you don't have you don't exactly. have voices. You don't I, have I acting know, skills. Yeah, I know a lot of people that have gotten discouraged from stepping up to GM because of the Matt Mercer effect. Oh, for sure. I think that's part of why you know a session zero or something like that. You, uh, Brian, you said earlier about mm. you know communication before the game about what kind of game it's going to be. And you know if you're going in and you know that all your friends are talking, you know, have come to you because they want you to run a game because they they love Critical Role. Uh, you know, you need to have a sit down with them. And and when you're talking about things like you know I'm going to run a meat grinder, you might die. Is that okay? Kind of thing. You also want to let them know, hey, I am not a professional, <laughs> improvisational right. trained, uh, you know, voice actor. I, I'm not going to be able to give you that experience. But if you trust me, if you let me, you know, find my style and and you know, and we'll work together and we'll figure out the tone of our game, I can promise you a good time. It's just not necessarily going to look like their good time. Mm-hmm. I I do the I I do the session zero. I basically say my style of gaming is of gming is really open i like narrative control style of games where the player has the agency to say hey do i can i already know this npc and i'll be like yeah 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 you know them but how do you know them yeah um when a new element that i didn't expect comes into play i'll ask the players what's their name what what tell me a little bit about them and then that's official it requires a lot of paperwork though <laughs> i have to be very organized yeah I, i've got one friend when he gms he has a giant whiteboard behind him at the Ooh, table. that's Ooh. that's a good idea yeah. <laughs> that's and, a really good idea i would do that if i had the ability to well the the, the whiteboard starts blank and every single time he, he either introduces a new npc or a new location he has a deck of playing cards and each card is a different player around the table so there's five cards he's got you know clubs one through five is what he has on his deck and he draws a card to randomly select a person at the table and he asks them you know what's the name of this npc and then he writes their name and That's then he draws good. another card and says what does this npc look like draws the name writes the name what's their nickname and he uses this as a way to do cooperative world building no that's good i like that oh that yeah, sounds fun. very similar to fake core and how the fake core rpg to, works i might have to steal that for a game that's good <laughs> yeah it's it's been it's been very good at keeping players engaged and interested and uh knowing that they have a a a tangible way to interact and shape the environment of mm. the game world around them beyond just their their player their uh, that's, yeah that's that's good that's so good. Wyatt, it's your turn to ask a question i think you're directing it at david theobald the third yes okay okay uh, so david i know that you had said earlier that uh you know you don't love pathfinder second edition mm. um so my question is how do you adjust a game based on the the type of game like how much does your gm style uh change or mold to the actual uh game that you're running versus you know how you know what's what comes through no matter what you're playing like you know how important do you think the mechanics of the system are to how you okay. run the game the mechanics are important up until they're not if that doesn't make sense, I'll explain a little. The rules are great, and the rules are always a good backbone to fall onto, but sometimes they don't quite fit the situation that comes up. Because when you're playing with people at a table, there's no telling what the fuck is going to happen. <laughs> right. You have to be able to, on the fly, just change things. And one of my favorite responses to any player when they ask me a question about something like that, the rules of, hey, this guy's not supposed to be able to do that. I always just go, yeah, weird, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yep. 
<laughs> Answers everything. <laughs> my my big example of that is um, grappling hooks. Every time I have a player say, I'm going to use my grappling hook too, I wince because there's never any mechanics for it. It's like, I'm going to use this grappling hook to pull the contents of the fireplace out of the fireplace. Uh, okay, roll a d20. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing I'd do there is something about the rope catching fire, but <laughs> yeah, it it's like it. Um, I want to. In Pathfinder First Edition, I had a player who was on a separate ledge as an enemy, and they were like, "I want to grab him with grappling hook and pull it up, pull him off." And I'm like, "That sounds really fun," but I can't think of any easy mechanic. Okay, roll a d20. I guess we'll add strength to that. Oh, well, let's make it a grapple check. I don't care if it's ranged. Go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> Um, another thing I do as a GM, I, uh, I don't hide roles. What happens happens. Um, I think my players appreciate that because they know I'm not pulling punches. They know I'm not, you know, trying to you know, fudge numbers or anything. If I roll twenties, Hey, it sucks. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do keep my role secret. I think, uh, my, my players know that I'm not trying to, to kill them or have yet another TPK. This happened. Mm you know, often enough on their own. Uh, I see a lot of value in secret roles, especially things oh, yeah. like, like perception checks. I, I, I can't stand players rolling okay. perception checks because then they know I, if they did well or not. Yeah. My big thing with, Oh, sorry. Jen, no, go no, ahead, I, was gonna say, I, I can understand that. Um, what I mean, I don't hide roles. I was talking more combat oriented. Like we're in a fight. I don't hide what I'm rolling, but yeah, mm -hmm. I don't, like for random perception checks and stealth checks for guys that are that are hidden from them. Yeah, I don't do all that out in the open. But. Well, well see, even in, even in combat, I like to have my my roles hidden, and it's not you know to fudge numbers. It's because if I don't want my players to see me roll a you know a five and see that this guy's got learn how big this guy's bonus is because that's right. going to influence influence their thing. All they need to know is how often he's landing hits, not you know how, where the where that math is coming from. Understandable. So, um. um I uh, the reason why I started doing it that way was playing in Pathfinder Society organized play. You're at a table with different people every single game you play, yeah. generally. So it's easier to just be consistent in that way instead of and because oftentimes you start a game, you're not going to know whether they're going to be players that want to roll dice and kill things or players that want to role play until you're already halfway through it. <laughs> so uh, I, I just got very used to doing that. And it's just become the way I do it now. It's easier that I mean, sometimes, you know, it's bad. But to be fair, most most of the time, if you're not in a combat situation, you're not in any real threat of dying anyways. So. <laughs> well, I, I think what you said about, you know, doing it in organized play when you've got people just sitting down, sitting down. I think it's a really great thing to do. Like you said, consistency. It's going to build trust out of the gate because they're going to know you're not a fudge numbers yeah. GM when they sit down. So that's I definitely think that's that's good when you have you know randos coming in constantly just as a little like yeah. olive branch to them to let them know what they yeah. can expect from well yeah it's a, a, when i'm gming an organized play game it's the first thing i do we sit down at the table goes hi um let everyone know i don't roll i don't hide my rolls i don't fudge numbers if it happens it happens i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> build fair play to win that's exactly what I, do. I am very familiar with that speech as i have played at david's tables and holy crap <laughs> Sometimes I get hot and people die. It happens. <laughs> Other times I get ice cold and fights are over in two rounds. <laughs> um, David, your turn. Right. For me. Uh, yes, I get to ask Brian a question. Um, uh, ooh, 
there's a good all right all right um as a player what do you think is one of the best tricks you can give somebody that's a new player coming in oh that's a good question as a new player coming in um Oh, as a new player, that's a hard one for me because I haven't been a new player in a long time. No, no, no. no. As you, what is something that you would tell a new player I know. To, as a trick? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, in organized play, if there were new players, I would delegate to other people. I, I was so, oh, this reveals so much about me, but I hated helping players set up characters. Uh, it, you know, because at cons, I was so busy. Um but I have had new players in home games. Um, you know, as a player, I think in gameplay with any system, my big tip is don't worry about the rules. Just tell me what you want to do. Just, yeah, and I'll let the GM figure out what the rules are. Um, I think that's a good, helpful tip. Um, I, you know, don't worry about being so character sheet focused. Just do your thing, you know, like um, don't be afraid to ask for help at the table. Um, you know, how do I do this? What should I do? Um, ask for tips. Um, you know, it, it, I find that the most challenging thing for most of the players I've had isn't the rules. It's engaging at the table when you're not comfortable with that kind of game, when you haven't done it before. It's like, um, I've seen this happen with other GMs running investigations. Well, they'll get players at the table and they'll be like, what do you do? And they don't help the players and the players will be like, I don't know what to do. And it's just because nobody at the table had ever been an investigator before, or maybe they're not familiar with mystery novels, or they just don't think that way. So investigations can be very frustrating. I had the privilege of playing an investigation where there was a cop at a table, and it was one of the most nice. amazing things I've ever seen. I learned so much. Um, but fun. Uh, it was so much that, fun because they were awesome. like, they were like, okay, let's gather up all the witnesses. And I was like, you know, I watch a lot of shows and I play a lot of investigations. That's the first time I've ever seen that happen at a table and never thought of it before. Um, he was like, okay, let's canvas the neighborhood. Let's go door to door, ask questions. And I was like, holy crap. There's game mechanics for that. You can gather information. Uh, but well, you were one of those parts of the is. rules that no one's ever really, no one ever really looked yeah, at. Yeah, <laughs> there there are there are real in life ways of investigating that are very helpful, and you know the characters might know that while the players don't. And you know if a GM is going to run an investigation, maybe do a little research on what you would do in an investigation so you can help the players. You can make suggestions, and if you don't want to do it out of game, have the sheriff make suggestions. Have the yeah. The, um, or just railroad it. I mean, I, I never have a problem with railroading. Um, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you just have to. Feed your players. It's fine. Um, not everything has to be organic. I mean, it's nice, but it doesn't have to be that way all the time. Um, you know, everything is a tool. Um, but yeah, I, I think ask questions. What do I do? What should I do? Um, don't throw your players into the fire. Um, help them out. Yeah, I, uh, leading questions is good as long as you don't sound. Um, I like to try condescending. And go, I, I try and go through the the formulas for figuring out modifiers for dice rolls with with people when they ask me something. Like, all right, so I'm gonna swing. What do I what do I add? Well, okay, you add your base attack bonus plus your strength modifier. <laughs> One so, of my big tips okay, is I that. say, okay, write that down mm. now, so you have it in front of you. <laughs> 
<laughs> put it yeah. somewhere in your character sheet. I I've I've designed new character sheets that do the math for them. If I don't have character sheets that do that, because it it can get really frustrating when they're just like, "What do I add again? What do I mm. add again?" Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Ahead, so you had your um, you had your finger up. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, just building on something that that Brian has said about if you about supporting a new player at your table. If there's a new player at your table, you know, be supportive, be welcoming, help them out. But I would say be cautious of overhelping. I've mm. been at games where there's a new player and they sat down and the GM said, you know, okay, Steve, the person to your right is brand new, help them out. And then Steve spent the whole game like, okay, so on this turn, you're going to want to get into flanking. So you're going to want to move here. And then you're going to want to do this. And then you're going to want to do that. And then the new player doesn't make any decisions or have any mm. agency over their character. Yeah. And they have a bummer of a time. So um, if there's a new player at the table, be supportive. I love the idea of asking them questions of saying, well, what is it you want to do? We'll figure out the mechanics, but don't, don't, um, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if what, what they say or do isn't optimally correct for the tactical situation. Let them make their own decisions mm. and bloody their own nose a couple of times and, and learn. Um, and the other thing, uh, when you are a new player and you're about to sit down at a table to play like Pathfinder 2nd Edition for the first time, you want to be prepared ahead of time. So you want to take plenty of time the day before to watch Collective Arcana and how it's played on YouTube. Those two channels are going to teach you everything you need to know about being a, uh, a player in a tabletop role-playing game. Well done. Well, 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 well done. shout out to Nonat Ones too, because they recommended Collective Arcana <laughs> and, and um, how it's played. Um, and it's great. true. Not, we have no, so many resources great. now. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Wyatt. Oh, no, I was just saying, uh, you know, No Nat Ones is another great resource if you want to learn about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. You know, modern, I, I remember when I was a kid playing, there was nothing. I mean, there was Dragon Magazine. Yeah, that was, was literally Magazine. it. That was literally it. <laughs> and now we have great websites and resources. And um, if you play 5e, there's... Um, D&D Beyond. Oh, D&D Beyond is amazing. <laughs> um, you play you play PF2. There's amazing forums on the Paizo site, PF2, PF1. Um, there's Facebook groups. Like, I don't even pay Wizards for books anymore. I just buy content on D&D Beyond. <laughs> so we're on our second round of the round robin. The way this works now is, um, I'm gonna, Dave, I'm going to ask you a question, but when it's your turn to ask, it can go to anyone, and we will just be chaos incarnate. Um, so, um, Dave, I want to say... Um, as playing the game, um, what are some organizational tips that you recommend for players and GMs? Yeah, okay. So um, G organizing as a GM is going to come down to each different GM and what their preferences are. And I mean, we could do an entire one hour podcast just talking on DM or GM organization. Um, I, I would say first and foremost, have a system. Sounds like, to sounds like a future episode. All right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Write it down. Um, have a system and follow it. Uh, I, I started using fantasy grounds more than 10 year, years ago. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily endorse it as like the go-to, um, virtual tabletop. Uh, but 
is what I'm used to. And when I'm even playing in a regular in-person game, I use I have my laptop open. I have that up. I use its initiative tracker. I use its status tracker because that's what I'm used to. Um, I'm also a huge, huge fan of index cards at the game table. So, for example, I have a player who plays a bard, and she'll take out these giant index cards. And if she casts in, in Inspire Curry, she'll take an index card, fold it in half like a table tent. And on one side, it says... Uh, you are affected by Inspire Courage, plus one attack, plus one save versus fear. And that side of the table tends facing the rest of the table. And on her side mm, of the table, that is a reminder saying, great. you are casting Inspire Courage. You must uh, sustain this every turn. And same thing no, that's for good. Um, conditions. It's, it's so easy to forget who's slowed, who's poisoned, who's this, who's that. Take a big index card, fold it in half, is a table tent on the side that's facing the players, your other players, it says, I am poisoned, right? So all the healers at the table can remember, you're suffering, and on your side it says, I am poisoned, suffer 1d4 damage every turn or whatever it may be. That's awesome. Yeah. I've done stuff like that at conventions for sitting at the tables for for uh, society play, but... Yeah, I, uh, I, like, uh, um, my bard, I, I've got I a table tent. And... I also like um, table tents with character names on them mm-hmm. because I've played mm. with... I. This is more for me as a GM because, I mean, I could play at the same table for five years and still screw up names. So it's nice to have that in front of yeah. me, in front of the players. Yeah, definitely for society play, that is uh, so helpful. But like uh, for me, a uh, home game, I don't need, I don't need, I, I remember character names. I'm more likely to forget uh, person name than character name. Yeah. 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 Honestly, to the point of where I just start referring to people by their character Same. name. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was in a, in a fifth ed D&D game like that a couple of years ago, and we literally could not remember. Like, we had, we, we had met on meetup.com, so we were all kind of strangers. And nice. so we just straight up knew everybody by their characters' names. That's uh, awesome. That is one thing I like about online is because you are strangers. The only version of them you might know is the goblin alchemist who likes to blue shit up, you know? Yeah. And it's just... There's, there's just something unique and special about that where, uh, you know, that person is their character functionally as far as your world and your existence goes. And it just makes that character feel that much more more real in, in a weird way. Yeah, I have con friends that still know me as character names, depending on which character they were introduced for, with first. Oh, yeah. All right. So, so next question here. I'm going I'm to go back to, to Wyatt. Cause, cause last time I I asked you Wyatt for you know your one big tip for being a good GM. So now, how about you share with us the number one giant mistake a GM can make that just ruins everything? Uh, don't die on any hills. Uh, <laughs> okay. I think that you know as a GM, it's really especially uh, for newer GMs. I think people who uh, aren't used to having to roll with the chaos that is a party of player characters. Uh, you can really just get these ideas in your head, like this thing has to happen, or you know they've got to go here, or this mechanic has to you know be whatever. I think that uh, the more rigid you are as a GM, is the more stress you're going to have, the more stress your players are going to have, uh, and it's also going to lead to less unique things. I mean, you're going to uh, you're going to be stifling everybody because everybody's going to 
once they realize what you're doing, they're going to stop even trying to be creative and, and you're going to be lucky if they stick around. <laughs> um, but even if they do, like, it's going to be this very uninspired, like colored by numbers sort of thing. And I think that that's just a great way to ruin a game versus, you know, if, cause you can't just go willy nilly, right. You know, like you, you're going to have some, some form of, of planning, but uh, to, to just be certain that this is what's going to happen, I think, and trying to push your players there is, I think, just a really good way to kill uh, any yeah. semblance of creativity. I agree. Um, I'm, I, this is a good one. I think we can go around. Uh, I've got one too. Uh, for me, it's don't take combat personally. You're as a GM, you're supposed to lose. <laughs> so the i know i've had it happen hell it's even happened to me once or twice where i set up an encounter and then my players they beat it really quickly and i actually get like angry at them <laughs> well, or it's, it's, players that are or gms that are just completely bloodthirsty and go well, out of their way to to be <laughs> over to go out of their way to be antagonistic towards one or two of the characters of the party constantly Right, right. I think there's, I think it's really important at the table to be able to separate, you know, in the game versus, mm. you know, right? Like I've had, and that's right about, we talked about trust earlier, like, you know, when you have trust with the people that you're playing with, you know, if, if Dave and I are at a table together and we've been playing for years, and I know that Dave is my friend and Dave's just trying to have a good time with me, and then Dave's character does something to me, I'm not going to be mad at Dave. I'm not even going to be mad at Dave's character. I'm going to be like, well, that's cool. That's fun. I can't wait to play off of that versus, you know, if there is true antagonism there, then, you know, that's going to color that. It's going to either ruin that plot hook that could have been something really cool to explore in character, or it's going to, uh, you know, and just build bad vibes and it's going to just keep growing into something. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I, th- I think uh, yeah, it's, it's really... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 please. No, I think it's re- I think it's really important, like you said, like just to say, you know, this is not an antagonistic situation. Yeah. There is an antagonist, but it's not an antagonistic situation. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what do you think is a uh, is a classic blunder that GMs often make that they should avoid? Um, a classic blunder that GMs should avoid. Um, gosh. I'm a perfect GM. I don't have anything to relate to this. Um, Fair enough. Moving uh, on. What's a classic <laughs> blunder? Um, oh gosh, um, don't have any expectations. Uh, if if you if you put everything into like a concrete expectation, I, I guess this goes with Wyatt said about don't die on any hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should stay fluid, stay flexible. Um, if you if you give your player a left and a right, and they break through the wall in front of them. Let them. Um, you know, if a, a player says something that's outside of the rules, let them. Player wants to do something crazy, give them a yes and. Um, um, Sometimes, I think as a GM, it's okay to say yes, but too. I, I yeah. um, say but, yes. That's the <laughs> but that's the key. Say yes. I mean, um, if if you have to say you have to go to the bathroom and take five minutes and figure out what you're gonna do. There's a there's a huge <laughs> debate on when do you say no and if it's ever okay to say no. And I think yeah, it is. I I think you don't want to deny the premise. I think if player want really 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 wants to do something, there should always be encouragement and compromise. Um, and don't be afraid to halt the action if you absolutely need to, but try to keep it fluid. Try to keep it flexible. Um, whose turn is it? Sorry, I, uh, I stepped away. Wyatt, Wyatt, you get to ask anybody you want a question. Uh, I think I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask Dave. Um, I'm going to say, 
Dave, what do you do when things have gone bad? How do you recover once all these tips, everything have failed uh, or, you know, just been skipped over and now you're now you're in the mess? How do you how can you salvage a game that looks unsalvageable? Wow. Wow. Again, another question that could be an hour long topic. Um, you know, I'm trying to think back. I mean, obviously I've had bad sessions. I, I think if when you when you're a GM and you have a bad session, you gotta you gotta do some soul searching. You gotta put your ego to the side and you gotta be asking yourself, uh, why did this go wrong? Uh, in in the past, um, when I've had sessions that I felt like were, were, were not well received, it comes down to one of two things. It's either because I was putting forward an idea or premise that my players were not into. Um, for example, I had planned, uh, we were playing a Star Wars game that uh, I had set up as sort of like, you know, Firefly rogues in a spaceship taking jobs and living on the fringe and all this. And I had set up a, uh, a storyline where they were going to do some, some jobs for a person that was involved in uh, the spice trade, um, medical spice, um, not hard narcotics in the Star Wars universe, but uh, spice that was being mined and used for medicinal purposes, although the guy was clearly kind of shady. And my players were like, this guy's shady. Like, you know, we, we, we don't want to take a job from a guy who's clearly shady. And so um, that session just led to me just literally throwing out the three ring binder I had full of notes for the session and just shooting from the hip for the rest of the session. And afterwards saying, you know what? I obviously didn't have a very clear picture of what my players and their characters wanted that uh, they wanted to be a little more on the side of the angels and not so much in this gray area that, that I had originally intended. Um, and another, the other reason why I think games go sideways is as a GM, you need to set forth your expectations. And, <gasps> and, I, and I think that's come up a little bit already. Um, this is the kind of game I play. Like for me, I've never run a, a game that had evil PCs that turned out well. Every single right. time I've, I've had evil PCs, they've turned on the party, they've stolen from the party, they've used their evil alignment to justify mm -hmm. screwing over other mm -hmm. people and being jerks. I know a million other people out there who have had long-running evil campaigns and had fun. I've never been able to manage it. So I don't allow evil-aligned PCs anymore, and that solves a lot of my problems. But if the player comes in and they're dead set on wanting to be an evil player, you got to set your expectations as a GM, and the players need to understand that that this is what this table in this game is going to be like. And if that's not my cup of tea, then it's probably best not to be there. Let's 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 avoid the problems before they come up by setting expectations and getting agreement from the players. So I, I guess can, those those are my ideas. I can relate to that so much. I mm. I always share my ground rules at session zero, but I have to say there was a period of time where I banned paladins at the table for that hurts brian that hurts i well i will give the reason is because i had an experience that every time i had a player playing a paladin they turned into this party cop that ruined everybody's fun and i couldn't Awful find stupid. anyone who could play a paladin in a supportive manner and stay true to their character they were just tied up in their mechanics and were like you're using poison you can't use poison and i'm like 
I'm okay to be flexible with the rules. I'm not going to take away your paladin abilities if it's if it's ruining the fun for the rest of the day. No, that's the rules. They can't use. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, no one's playing paladins anymore. <laughs> and then you met Eric the Halfbeard. <laughs> I think it's so much more fun with paladins, you know, or any lawful good type character like that, any fun police character. To rather than like tell people no, you give them the judge. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you just get all judgy with them, and be like. Like, that's what you think is the right way to go. I think, you know, that way they get to do their thing. You create, like, a little bit of party tension, but not, like, a combative party tension. No, you know, absolutely. You, you, you let it know, my character doesn't like this, my character doesn't approve, but, you know, you're also not going to expect anybody else to live up to the tenets that you took an oath to. They didn't take an oath to these exactly. tenets. Exactly. You know? Yeah, you can't, you can't play lawful stupid. <laughs> it's the one thing I don't like about the some of the 1E paladin requirements that were, like, if your party violates these rules, then you can't play with them. And it's like, you just made it harder to run the game. Chewie did such a good job. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no well, I, I think you're about to say something that I was thinking of, so you go ahead. Wyatt. I was just going to say, Chewie did such a good job of keeping the spirit of those tenets, but dialing them back so that you could exist in a party without you know, being the complete fun police type of character. Yeah, yeah the, well, the I've never played a paladin like fun police. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Espe- yeah, especially the, the different kinds. I mean, you can have the, the paladin the party, or the champion, rather, could be the most chaotic person in the room, for sure. Yeah, and and just for our viewers, because at the beginning, I think we said we we're going to keep this, like, system agnostic. We, we can't help it. Collective Arcana and I, we're primarily Pathfinder people, so... Sorry. Lately, I am, too, so I it, mm. it's hard. And I, it, I, I try not to exclude David, because I know he doesn't like Pathfinder 2nd Edition. You're more... Look, I know the system. I've played it. I just don't enjoy it. I can still talk about the system, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Jesus, come on. <laughs> I, I, I think it, I think that's I'm not a leper. I, I think that's healthy. You know, like you know, I think it's so good that there, there is such this undercurrent in in the you know in the scene where you feel like you've got to defend your game or whatever. But we're all we're all just you know putting on wizard hats and rolling dice. Like you know, there's no reason to exactly to have animosity about. <laughs> and uh, if if you'd like to see a good narrative example of the 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 strict paladin and in a party that has some players that might be a little more chaotic good than lawful good uh, I always think of the original Dragonlance novels. I think there was Sturm was was a character in that who was very rigid in his beliefs as a paladin. And uh, some arguments that would come up with him and uh, some other members in the party of that adventure. But um, I don't recall it ever coming to stabbings and, and, and whatnot. Uh, yeah. uh, my, I, I, my bad experience was I had a talk with a player and was like, all right, you want to play a paladin, but you can't cop the party. You just can't. And um, they did it anyway. And it was just like, I'm sorry, I can't play a paladin anymore. This doesn't work. It, it, it's ruining everybody's fun. And they were like, well, what about my fun? It's ruining my fun. And it was like, your perspective is that because not because three people aren't on board with how you want to play, it's ruining your fun. But you realize you're playing with three other people. <laughs> Yeah. yeah if, if, if if not just for the paladin situation, but for any situation, if you're so rigid that you say the only way I can have fun is if I have my way, then you're not collaborating. Yeah, it's not going to work. And you, yeah. No. And uh, you know, we're talking about the paladin situation here. In the past, where I've mostly seen it is with the rogue character who says, 
I'm a rogue. I'm a thief. I'm going to steal from the other players. And uh, one of my favorite sayings that I've incorporated into my own like session zero explanations of expectations is is the phrase steal for the party and not from the party. Mm. And it's like, yeah, you, you can be a rogue. You can be a kleptomaniac. You can steal all you want. But just be smart enough to know that your life depends on the trust of these other people in your party. So steal from my NPCs all day long. You can you can be a thief. Mm-hmm. Just be a, you know, smart enough to steal for the party and not from the party. Um, and that's helped in my situation. Yeah. I like that phrase. It's good. Mm. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me just how much you learn about people by watching them play characters and role-playing games. And the way they act and the things they do when there aren't necessarily consequences they would have to deal with normally. <laughs> it's, it's wish fulfillment. Oh, know? yeah. Would it, you know, uh, I, I, growing up, I loved to play paladins because mm. I wanted to, especially when I was young, you know, Superman's lawful good. I wanted to be the bastion of what's right mm. and, and mighty. Uh, and then like in the early two thousands, things turned to like, everybody had to be the, the, uh, half vampire undead edge Lord, you know, Oh gosh it, it was a rough it was a rough patch of role mm. playing um, in the dresden files novel series there's two really really good examples of a paladin there's a character who's based on a DD paladin named michael carpenter yeah um and then there's a cop named karen murphy who will be like no we have to do this within the law it creates conflict but it creates positive conflict um and yeah, i think the way to create positive conflict in the game is to tell players role play this out role play it out how would your character respond to this yeah you know and you know think if your character is a real person in real life we don't murder people when they don't do what we want <laughs> yeah when, when there's table conflict i'm a fan of saying figure it out role play it out there will be no dice is none of this i'm going to make my bluff check against yeah, my no. other player like no there's going to be no dice involved you're going to role play it out and we're going to come to a consensus and then we're going to move on yeah, that, that's a good way of doing it, because that's the other thing, is is conflict within a party of, oh, I'm going to lie to him. Like, uh, okay, lie to him. What do I roll? No, 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 lie to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think unless it's something incredibly lighthearted, um, parties should never be rolling dice against each other unless, you know, a GM or, you know, monster's got somebody dominated or something. No, if yeah. the, the player wants to play that, if the party wants to play that way. I mean, I've True. done some pretty positive PvP in games. I mean, it can oh, happen. Uh, PvP can be negative and can be positive. It can be, it can, there can be fun PvP. It's, it's totally possible. Um, you can base a whole game around it. I mean, there's, yeah. there's gladiators and stuff like that. There's some really cool ways to do PvP. Yeah. Yeah. There's all sorts of tools at our disposal. Um, so we're just about out of time. Um, I'm going to ask a quick question to everyone that we could just spend like a minute on each. Um, so um, let's focus on GMs. And I'm going to start with Dave. Um, what is your favorite GM toy, tool, thing that you like to use at the table? Wow. Um well, I, I, I've taken to using a uh, a large computer monitor as my game table. So nice. hook it up to the Ooh. laptop and put the virtual map on the table. I'm a big fan of that. That's um, awesome. 
If you're familiar with Dungeons and Lasers, you can look them up either through Archon Studio or through uh, Kickstarter. They make modular terrain that snaps together so you can build 3D modular terrain on the fly. Uh, and I plan to start painting those like I am my miniatures uh, in the relatively soon. Uh, those are pretty cool. Um yeah, uh already talked about the whiteboard and the table tents. Uh, All right, well, we just do this real quick because we're going to go around the whole table. So, Wyatt, what about you? Toy um, tool. So, one of the things that we did when, you know, we were online is we started a game and then we moved, you know, hundreds of miles away from a group. And we wanted to, you know, so we were playing online. We were using Roll20, everything was fine, but I really wanted to get into miniatures. I, you know, I had a lot of game and I just wanted to... Take, finally take that deep dive. And so uh, we set up a camera so that when we're playing on Roll20 or you know, whatever our online system is, we, instead of having a grid map for big fights, important fights, I have a map with a camera and, you know, they just tell me where to move their pieces. I just, I love that getting to take my miniatures through the pandemic, you know, and still get to use them for online games. David? Um, I mean... One of my favorite toys is just the magnetic board I have that I got. It was the Paizo branded initiative tracker magnetic board thing. That is so useful. Scribble notes, whatever you need to write on the thing. It's one of the best investments I've ever made as far as buying stuff to help my GMing. That's the one thing I love about this game. All you need is a piece of paper and a pencil, or you can spend thousands on terrain, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can play no matter how invested you want to get. Uh, how about you, Brian? Um, the area of effect wire, um, templates, they're like Those are metal wire templates. It looked like they're made out of coat hangers, but they're made out of nice metal. And, um, they have, there's a 20 foot radius and a 30 foot cone and a 10 foot radius. I don't know how I could survive without those. Mm, those are um, really good. Uh, I also want to share two runners up, um, miniature poker chips, mm. Um, they're useful for everything from storm, from swarm counters to hero points to whatever. And, um, if you go to Michael's, there's these things called zoo tubes that are tubes filled with animals mm -hmm. and they're the perfect scale to use as animal minis. So yeah, I, I, yes. I have a bunch of little crap that I love. So um, we are at the end of our show. We had a nice little conversation about jamming and playing. Um, it was so great having Dave and Wyatt here. Um, Dave, um, let's we'll move on to the promotion part of our show. What would you like to promote? Uh, yeah, my, my YouTube channel is called How It's Played. Uh, if you check it out, I'd recommend going to the playlist area because I have dedicated playlists for a number of different subtopics. I got one dedicated to Fifth Ed D&D, one to Starfinder, one to uh, to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, most recently, a video that's gotten some attention and uh, uh, actually, actually had some folks from Paizo DM me to chat about, which was pretty cool, was a, uh, a video I call a Battle Breakdown, um, where I show a clip of a movie, in this case... Uh, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, and I convert it into a um, an event of Pathfinder Second Edition, and say, you know, uh, Frodo is spending one action to do this and another action to do that, and this is how you know the rolls work, and when the monster attacks, it has to roll this and that, and kind of break it down as if it was a visual example of an actual um, gaming event. Uh, so check that one out. It's a uh, Battle Breakdown, Fellowship of the Ring, Watcher in the Water. And I want to say my favorite part of that video was when Legolas rolled a nat 20 and got to use the critical hit deck 
deck to roll a crit <laughs> on the watcher of the water and you hit the one that worked for the movie it's that's just great. so great oh, it's good. good um how do people if listeners want to reach out to you how would they do that Oh uh, yeah, sure. So um, the easiest ways would either be through Twitter. I am how underscore it's underscore played underscore. Yes, because of Twitter, there is an extra underscore after the word played. But how it's played, there's also a how it's played um, Patreon, and there's a how it's played uh, Facebook uh, group as well. So uh, any of those would be ways to find me. If you're on Reddit, um, you know, user how it's played all one word, I think. So yeah, if you have questions, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Wyatt, what about you? Uh, you know, so Collective Arcana, that's our YouTube channel. That's that's where we, we do most everything that we do. Um, you know, we uh, encourage you to you know stop by, watch videos, of course. But we also have a Discord that we would love you to come hang out in. Uh, Sarah and I are both on there all the time, uh, as well as just a really great, fun, little inclusive community. Um, you know, people who can help out if you're new or if you want advanced tips, if you just want to chat about how cool your new character is, you know, come hang out. I've never been real comfortable with Discord. If I wanted to join your Discord, what would I have to do? Uh, we have a link in most of our video descriptions. You can just click on that and uh, you can either download the Discord app or you should be able to run it in a browser as well. And it's just, it's almost like a forum or old school like chat rooms, you know, if you were online back in, in the oh. late 90s, yeah. uh, you know, with different channels where you can, you know, talk about different subjects uh, and pe- everybody can just sort of chime in. Yeah, no, Discord's awesome. And did you say where you are on Twitter? Uh, yes, we are uh, Collective D&D on Twitter. Okay, cool. Um, so we had a fantastic talk about jamming and playing. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation in a um, conversation for the Patreons. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. I actually said it right. The first attempt. Yay! I am so happy. <laughs> I've been doing this for a year now, and I'm still getting that wrong every episode. I, I, I celebrate. Um, so um, I have been um, Super Vegan Brian. I was joined by David, the Evolved Third. Bye, everybody. A day from How It's Played. Take care. Thanks for having me. And Wyatt from Collective Arcana. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for having me. Um, this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. Stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Stay awesome. Uh, Brian, I'll <laughs> say goodbye. Just cut me off whenever. Bye. Uh,